0: Uh, Good morning. Man, my microphone's working. All right. Uh, Welcome back, a lot of the students, a lot of people who have been traveling. And um, welcome, as Brett said, this is the last sermon in Ruth this week. I don't know. As far as I know. Unless, I don't know, unless the Lord has something different in mind. Um, And I just want to say as a brief note for you who were here last week, thank you for all the concern and um, prayers as I kind of got more vulnerable than I, than I normally do, but praise the Lord that he used the sermon for repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. And so uh, just so you know, in preparing to preach, it is always ministering to me first before it ministers to you. Um, so uh, this is the second of our excursies, um, the little excursion in the book of Ruth. Uh, we're going to camp out a little bit in chapter 2. And this idea of hospitality, but before we do, I want to begin with point number one in your outline and um, the the outline there's going to be these points are going to be a little quicker uh, just because I, I kind of want to give a full biblical theology of uh, hospitality and I want to begin in the Old Testament. but before we begin, uh, we must distinguish as we often have to do between a word that we have a, an idea of in our mind versus how the original readers of Um, of the scriptures would hear this word. If you're an ancient Near Eastern audience, if you are um, reading the Old Testament for the first time, just so you know, the word hospitality does not appear in the Old Testament. There's not even really a Hebrew word for it. But the ideas, the expectations, and the uh, cultural principles are all throughout the Old Testament. And so one of the things I want to do first is just distinguish where our word is similar and where our word is different. There are some commonalities for sure. There is a lot of carryover. But the distinction between how we think of hospitality and how they think of hospitality is a little different. Let me see if any of this rings a bell. For us, hospitality today is primarily seen as a commercial art form. If You know what I mean by that. Today, when we think of hospitality, we think of Pinterest-worthy homes and meals, We think that hospitality is a trip to Hobby Lobby or TJ Maxx or or insert the blank so that we can invite the people we like the most and show off how creative and beautiful our house is and our meals are. Is it ringing a bell? This is not Old Testament hospitality. Old Testament hospitality is less about creating a special space but more about treating people who don't belong as if they are special and making them feel like they belong. That is the end of hospitality. Sometimes we get so caught up in the means that we miss the end. The word hospitality that we find in the New Testament, it literally means love of a stranger. It is showing love to someone who you don't have to. And as we read earlier, and Luke, who probably won't be able to repay you. So, like I said, the word hospitality doesn't appear uh, in the Old Testament or in our passage. But there's a religious obligation. Um, there's a, a care for, for those who have nowhere else to turn. And it just jumps off the page if you are an Israelite reader. Uh, and, and I want to draw some of those things out. But here's one of the first things I want you to see. Is that in the Old Testament... Um, hospitality is the art of turning strangers into friends. The art of turning strangers into friends. And you don't have to spend money to do that. But the art of turning strangers into friends. Um, I, one example that I think is, is, is really clear. There's, there's no um, rules of hospitality or anything in Genesis 18. But in Genesis 18, the way that Abraham practices hospitality um, is, is radical if you're reading it for that. And I want you to see Abraham's devotion. And this is very uh, common within Eastern culture. Uh, It it was then and it still is now. Genesis 18. And remember this for later. There will be an application when we get to ourselves. Genesis 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, uh, in in that culture, in the heat of the day, you didn't do much. Everyone relaxed uh, because it was hot. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Watch what he does. When he saw them, he ran from his tent door to meet them. And just kind of put in context, Abraham is, is a nomad at this, at this point. He's not living within a city, you know. It's kind of a big deal. And he wants them to feel like they're a big deal. When he saw them, he ran from his tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, or O oh, oh, oh Master, um, If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the, the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. This is impressive hospitality. And so for the people of Israel, not only is this a cultural thing, but it's a theological thing. It is rooted in the principle principle of their redemption remembering that they were also strangers. If you're in Genesis, turn a couple of books over to Leviticus. Uh, this one won't be up on the screen. I um, deleted it, and then I added it back in. So uh, Leviticus 19, and 34. So there's, there's a command, but there's a theological principle behind it. Leviticus 19:33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Another thing we need to think about, if, if, if you think in our day and age that racial and cultural tensions are, are strong, you ain't seen nothing. In biblical times, especially in Old Testament times, they were warring nations who didn't really get along unless there was a treaty for a moment. They, they hated and did not welcome people who were different than them. To say welcome a stranger, that seems common for us, but that was not common for them. And so this is a, a, a radical grace and mercy for God who took strangers out of Egypt and made them a nation. He says something similar in Deuteronomy, and if you notice... The command for uh, strangers, for sojourners, is tied directly, this is Deuteronomy 24, is tied directly to how you care for your, your fields. These things come together in Ruth. Deuteronomy twenty four seventeen. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless, or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember... That you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. And then here's an application. Verse 19. When you reap harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat out your olive tree, you should not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, and you shall not strip it afterward. There's a pattern here. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Why do all that? You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Their treatment of strangers, their kindness, their generosity. is because the kindness and generosity of the Lord, how he treated them as they were strangers. And this is what we're going to see in our passage. Boaz understands this well. This is what is commendable about his character. So as we get into Ruth and I read through chapter 2, just remember, we've already exegeted chapter 2, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But I want to bring these details to your mind. So as I kind of set the table for us, as I read through uh, Ruth chapter 2, verses one, 1 through 16, what do you notice about Boaz? What do you notice about his character, about his, his treatment? The way he welcomes people in. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was in the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink with the young men what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and saying to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord for the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and you have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your perfect design, that we are set about earthly tasks for six days a week. It is good that we work, it is good that we be diligent, it is good that you have given us resources to steward, but you have also given us a day of rest, a day of restoration, a day of refreshment in you, a day of worship, a day of fellowship. Lord, thank you for the time to come together in peace without the threat of war, without the threat of persecution that we may learn and grow in you. Lord, would we never take that for granted? Would we never take for granted the beautiful assembly of the saints? Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus who come together, and the only thing we have in common is that we have received mercy and grace and that our Savior has called us his own, and he has welcomed us into his house to be his people and his inheritance. Lord, there is no greater hospitality. Lord, would we look into your word and help it to encourage us and instruct us and challenge us to be grateful, generous, welcoming people. Because we have so much to be grateful for because you have been so generous and welcomed us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to move through quickly. Um, I found just 17 things that I'm going to bring up about Boaz. Don't worry about writing them all down. Um, this is just for, for illustrating the uh, purpose and for the sermon. If you can write this fast, uh, you need a job in stenography or something. Um, but we're going to work through these pretty quickly, and I don't think H- Hannah's in here. She's probably next door, but Hannah w- was was really helpful because um, a lot of these uh, Eastern traditions and these Eastern cultural expectations still exist today in Eastern, Eastern cultures. Um, first thing I want you to see is verse 1. Boaz is a worthy man. He is the only one in the Scriptures who is defined as who is a definitive worthy man. There are questions asked, are you a worthy man? But he's the only one in the scriptures who has plainly said, he is a worthy man. So in that, he should be a bit of an example for us. Notice how this man enters the room. We we, we talked about this before, skipping down to verse four. And behold, pay attention, here's Boaz, the grand entrance. What's the first thing he says? He doesn't say, here I am. He says, the Lord bless you. He walks in blessing his people, those who are entrusted to him, those who are under his care. We don't realize this, but this is just part and parcel with with Eastern hospitality, that you, you bless those who you come into contact with. He is a man who is known for blessing, and they respond with a blessing. And they seem joyful about it. This is a man who is not only worthy and joyful, but he's observant. He pays close attention to detail. Notice what he does in verse 5. This is one of the keys to hospitality. Notice who's in front of you. Pay attention. I know everyone else. I don't know her. Verse 5. Whose young woman is this? Because in that culture, a woman was tied to either her husband or her, her father. She did not have an identity of her own apart from the, the, the head of her home. Who does she belong to? So, number one, he notices her. He is, he is he's considerate. He has care and uh, concern to, to protect her. But especially, she doesn't belong to someone, especially if she's just a, a widow, there's an additional concern there. So, The servants retell her story and uh, what what she's done. He processes all the information, takes it all in. And the next thing he says, I want you to see there's so much in verse 8 and 9. But he says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, stop there for a moment. Remember what I said earlier about the different cultures. They hated the Moabites. The Moabites were a, a, a people who were brought about by sexual immorality. They were a people who didn't welcome Israel into the land. They were a people who were not allowed to be brought into the fellowship of Israel. And he calls this woman a Moabite, my daughter, a familial term. He shows her a love and a, a, a grace that she does not deserve and does not expect. When we were sitting at our table yesterday and talking to Hannah about this, she said, you don't know how big a deal this is for an outsider, for an unknown woman to be called daughter. This will make the, the, the Eastern reader step back for a moment. This is radical hospitality that he would treat her as, as family. Then he goes on. Do not go to glean in another field. He takes personal responsibility for her. You are now under my protection. You glean where I am. Don't go anywhere else. You stay behind my young women. Ask them. I take good care of them. They know where to find the good grain. You follow them. And have I, and then also, have I not told these young men not to harass you? You can imagine women in those days who did not have protection, did not have many rights, if a young man wanted to force himself on her or if a young man wanted to steal what she had gathered. He already goes ahead and he sends word, you leave her alone. You do not molest her in the general sense. And he goes on. Drink from what they have drawn. She lacks nothing. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna tell you where to pick. I'm gonna give you water to drink. I'm gonna give you an an example. He provides, he thinks of everything. Leaves no detail uh, left out. And now you see why she responds the way she does in verse 10. She's expecting nothing. She's expecting a hard day's work, having to figure it all out on her own with no one to guide her. And day one, she is shown this amazing grace. And she falls on her face in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Earlier on in the chapter, this is why Naomi sends her out Go, and hopefully, some man will show you favor. And she says, Why have I found favor in your eyes? You are more generous, and more loving, and more caring than I could have ever imagined. She's just overwhelmed, and this is the heart of the text, and this really is at the heart of the book, that those who are lost and those who are far away are welcomed in, and they are shown grace that they do not deserve. They are, showing, they are shown mercy. When she says here that you've taken notice of me since I am a, I'm a foreigner, this is also stranger. Not only do I not belong to you, but you don't, you don't know me. I don't belong with, with, with your people. Verse 11, he responds like a wise man. All, so notice earlier, whose woman is this? He cares for her because she's a woman who's, who's by herself. But he cares even more deeply when he gets her backstory. Another great thing about hospitality is you, you find out about those who are coming into your home. You learn, how did she get here? Tell me your, tell me your, your, your story. Verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. He recognizes that she's a widow. She needs to be cared for. The fatherless, the sojourner, the widow. He recognizes she's been faithful to Naomi. But here's the real kicker. You left your father and mother, your native land. You, chapter 1 is about repentance. You turned away to a people that you did not know before to Israel. But here's where, um, here's where he lands. The Lord repay you For what you have done, and a full reward uh, be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here's where it goes up a notch. Not just your widow, come to the living God. You have come to my God. You told Naomi, My God is your God. Your people are, are my people. I will welcome you in the name of my God. He is showing hospitality and grace because his God is hospitable and gracious. So here she receives special favor because she's taken refuge in the Lord. And she responds in verse 13. She says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. Look how she describes it. You've shown me favor. You've comforted me. You've spoken kindly to me. I am the lowest of servants. And you've treated me as one of your own household. She is highly honored and highly valued. And he takes it up another step. This is the, the, the middle of the day, the big communal meal in the heat of the day. And at mealtime, Boaz says there, come here, eat the bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. Now, we've kind of touched on this a, a, a little bit, but just to, ju- just to recap. When you go to a feast, it is the master of the feast who sets the tone. Um, this may surprise you a little bit because in our culture, but in, in those cultures, hosp- uh, hospitality, it is the man's responsibility. It is the man who sets the tone in hospitality. It is the man who welcomes people to his table. The entire family contribute. Certainly, his, his wife w- would play a role in it. But for the master of the feast to give you a personal invitation, say, come in. For the master of the feast to hand you bread... For a master of the feast to say, no, you take your bread and dip it in my cup. There is no greater honor, there is no greater intimacy than to draw someone in personally. The master to, to signal you out, sit you beside his workers and give you special attention. He is invi- she is invited and personally attended to. And not only does he feed her and treat her in a way she doesn't deserve, but she's satisfied and she's got some left over. It sounds like an Italian Sunday meal. Like you are, you, you are satisfied and you got some left over. And if that's not enough, he tells his, his gleaners, pull out some of the bundle for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. She is loved. She is comforted. She is treated kindly. She is eaten to her, to her heart's content. She's got food left over and he sends her with, 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 a, with a to-go plate on the way out. You know he doesn't leave her empty-handed. Now you see why we want to take a week to talk about hospitality. So besides being a godly man who um, upholds the law, but the background for Boaz is helpful in understanding his character and his position in hospitality. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, but do we remember in Matthew chapter one, Matthew chapter one, verse five? Do you remember Boaz's genealogy and Solomon? the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. He knows what it means to have a stranger welcomed in. His own mother. Ruth is is a worthy woman. His own mother was a prostitute. And he's not known as Boaz, son of a prostitute. He's known as a worthy man. He's known as one of our redeemers. He is is, um, revered and respected all throughout Bethlehem. uh, Rahab trusted the God of Israel and she welcomed the spies. Look to Joshua chapter 2. This is not just pure happenstance. So you might be familiar with this this story of... uh, Jericho and sending the spies in and see if they can overthrow the the city. But I want you to see what Boaz grew up under, what his mother's example was. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord, she uses Yahweh here, she knows who he is, has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before, before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, and were beyond the Jordan, or Sihon, uh, to, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heavens above and on earth beneath. Now then, please swear by me by the Lord, as I have dealt kindly with you chesed here. I have shown faithfulness to you. Will you also deal chesed faithfully with, with my father's house? And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, said to her our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal in chesed and faithfully with you. Look at how she's remembered. Hebrews 11.31. It will be on the screen. We'll do this quickly. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Think about this. Rahab welcomed the spies. She showed hospitality to the spies. So then she was welcomed into Israel. Boaz saw that example. He welcomes Ruth in, another outsider. They together welcome in a child who welcomes in King David, who welcomes in Jesus Christ. Hospitality has gospel implications. And for hospitality, the responsibility is greater when even though that stranger may be new to you, if they know the Lord and they, they fear the Lord, there is an additional responsibility. So a couple things, uh, or one thing really before we move on to our next point. Um, like I mentioned, biblically hospitality was a responsibility of, of a, a man. Does that mean that it's wrong for women to practice hospitality? Absolutely not. We need you. Um, because I've been to some of your, your bachelor pads. Mountain Dew and PlayStation are only welcoming to other men. Whiskey and cigars are only welcoming to other men. Um, scented candles and matching pillows, those are, those are, those are good things. Keep doing that. We need, to, we need to learn from that. But for all of us, here's what the most important thing is. The most important thing is that the people feel welcomed. Not just that your place is welcoming. It is that the, the, what is most important is that the people feel welcome not just that your place feels welcoming. Because we all know this. We can think back in times in our we can think back in times when we've been in houses where we ate like kings. And we didn't it, the relationship never went anywhere else. We've all been in houses where we've had terrible food and had lifetime relationships. Because the personal attention you give will have far greater impact than your attention to detail. And so I just want to ask us, I know I am guilty of this. How many times have we gone so crazy preparing for people to come over that we can't enjoy the people? How many times have we been so busy being Martha's, getting every detail in place, washing dishes and setting up the house, and we never stop to sit down and ask them how they're doing? Boaz does this well. He chose the better portion. He he used his resources to honor and love Ruth well. So, next point. Hospitality according to Jesus. In his ultimate um, act of hospitality, Boaz puts his money where his his mouth is and he redeems this foreign woman. Brings her in, this widow, to be his wife. With the understanding that he's also going to care for the other widow, her mother-in-law. He did not see his life, his wealth as his own, but he saw himself as a faithful steward. He used his God-given resources to honor the Lord and welcome in these women. And so in this, he's an example on how to steward what we've been given to the glory of Christ and his kingdom. But also in this, he points us to Christ. Because our Savior welcomed us by humbling Himself, by welcoming strangers radically that he didn't have to. Our Savior left his rightful throne of glory for the cross to show his great love so that he would be our kinsman redeemer through that act. And in that act, he welcomes us into his family as sons of, the, of, our, of our Father in heaven. And if that weren't enough, in his final act of hospitality, he has gone away to prepare a place for us. He is preparing a home in glory. That is why he came to earth. But while he was on earth, think about this. Is anyone more hospitable than Jesus? And Jesus never had a home. Jesus ate with the theologians and the prostitutes. He attended to everyone that he met specifically, the tax collector or the woman bleeding. He knew exactly what they needed to hear. He looked them in their eyes. He gave them the the, the dignity of being image bearers, and he prescribed what they needed without a home. When he surrounded himself with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, and the Pharisees got upset, he modeled for us hospitality that everyone needs him. And especially those that are sick, those that have the most to gain, those who are farthest from the Lord, those who are not righteous in their own eyes, they will be the most receptive and the most, uh, the most thankful. Luke chapter 5, Jesus explains this. I love this. Uh, we, we often miss, miss this uh, in, in Matthew's conversion. Notice what he does immediately. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After he went out, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And what does he do immediately after? Levi made a great feast in his house. Christ says, Follow me. And he immediately goes to hospitality. And there was a large company of tax collectors. And others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbling at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And here's where Jesus takes it up a notch. Don't just welcome in people who are unwelcome. Here's why. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Once again, Jesus takes an Old Testament custom and he gives it kingdom significance. This is the nature of of my kingdom. To call sinners to repentance. Bring them into your home to show them my love, to show them their need for Christ. So that they can repent and turn to him and so that we can become family. Old Testament hospitality is the art of turning Strangers into friends. New Testament hospitality is the art of turning strangers into family. And so for us, just like Israel, hospitality is rooted in our redemption. Because we're the ones who are invited who don't belong. We're the foreigners. We're the poor, the the, the, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Like we read earlier, if you're still in Luke, go to chapter 14. Just three verses, Luke 14, 12 through 14 that we read earlier. This is why Jesus says, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends. It doesn't mean you never invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors who owe you nothing, who can return you nothing. Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid and you receive your honor on earth. But when you feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Why is Jesus saying this? Because that's what the rich people in that culture did. It's what the rich people in every culture do. They invite their friends. Anyone ever felt outside? Anyone ever known you were not in in the cool kids club? That you did not get invited to the, the high society dinners and, you know, join the club? Jesus says, you truly want heavenly reward Look outside of your circles. Welcome those who no one else is, is, is welcoming. That is the heart of hospitality. And so when I read this as a young Christian, I'm like, this doesn't exist. I've never seen this, this, this happen. And I didn't know that it was done in modern times until I read and read about Francis Schaeffer. Um, and you, you know, he's been a great uh, ministry example to me. But quickly... Buys a place in, in, in the Swiss Alps because who wouldn't? Um, called Le Brie, but it's very interesting. This brilliant scholar, historian, lover of art and music and all things beautiful, also loved Jesus Christ. And so a reputation begins to build. Anyone from any background at any time can come, and your questions will be answered. You will be sat at the, uh, the uh, dinner table. So in his gatherings you'd have hippies who were hiking through and, and knocking on, on the door. You'd have doctors and lawyers. You'd have academics. You, you'd have illiterates. And he would roll out the carpet. They would sit on the floor and they would talk. And they would read the scriptures and they would sing together. And there are so many stories of people coming to Christ. Um, I, won't, I won't get into them, but it is, it is really helpful to see that, that picture. is like, oh, this, this can be done. And what do they do? He and his wife, Edith, they just loved them. They listened to them. They fed them. They prayed for them. They prayed with them. And the Lord used it mightily. And I read this for the first time. I'm like, why are we not doing this? And then I asked myself, why am I still not doing this? Um, so here it brings us to our next point, hospitality in the Christian life. So for Christians, the gospel deepens every human activity. It gives everything that we do a spiritual dimension. Just having someone in your home now has kingdom implications if you are in Christ. Because we have been welcomed. We welcome people in our homes. Sam read this earlier in Hebrews 3. We are the house. We are Christ's house. He has welcomed us in. We welcome into, uh, uh, people into our church home because we have been welcomed into the family of God. Romans 15, 5 through 7. The rest of our passages are going to be, there'll be quite a few, but they're all in the New Testament. At the end of Romans 15, this encouragement to the church, this challenge to the church, these are simple things, but these are essential things for Christians. Romans 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. Our worship is increased when we live in harmony with one another. We are better able to glorify God when we love each other well. And there's a theological reason underneath it. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Everything that we have comes from him. And we are his stewards. We are to welcome everyone because he has welcomed us. What more reason do we need? But honestly... How far, or excuse me, how often do we fall into the trap of my house, my castle, for my comfort? As I said often, preaching uh, is a ministry to me before it ministers to you. How often has our own uh, comfort gotten in the way of welcoming others? How often have we failed to because it's never the right time, it's inconvenient for us, it costs too much, it's too much work? How often has our selfishness got in the way of our stewardship? We are to welcome everyone, but especially the body of Christ. That's what Paul says in Galatians 6.10. Those who fear the Lord, those who are part of the household of faith, they are our true family. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Brothers and sisters, you, you, you know, you've had nice dinner parties, you've had good dinners with people. But when you sit down with a fellow brother and sister in Christ, and that immediate heart connection, that immediate spirit connection, there's nothing else like it. We know we are among family. That's why hospitality is so important in the church. Look how Peter describes hospitality in the last days. You want to know when the last days are? You're in it and it's the last days until Christ returns. What does the church look like until Christ returns? What should, what should mark us? 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. What does he mean by the end of all things? Christ has come. He was, he was crucified, he is resurrected, he ascended. Nothing else needs to happen for redemption. He is still drawing people to himself. And what do we do until we see him again? Be self-controlled and sober-minded. But look here. For the sake of your prayers, above all, wow, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Amen to that. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. The last two passages, we do this for God's glory. Your gifts, your resources, your home, your food, you are stewards. Hate to break it to you, you don't own anything. You know what you take with you, exactly what you brought in with you. But in that, we're given a stewardship. We're given a call to love one another. Above all, what sets the church apart from the rest of the world? We actually love each other. And we serve each other, especially when it offers us nothing in return if we only love those who love us and serve those who serve us, Jesus tells us we're no different than the world. This is a radical call on us because we have been called radically by his grace. Paul tells the church in Ephesus that hospitality marks a mature man and a mature woman. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is one of, sadly... One of the least practiced qualifications of elders. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If you want to be an elder, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. How can you love the people of God if you don't love them into your home? How can you care for people if you don't welcome strangers? This is not just for elders, not just for those who are in the front. This is also for widows, those who are in the back, those who no one notices and no one pays attention to. You know the widows who you love and and care for? Picking up in verse 9 of chapter 5. Let a widow be enrolled, meaning financially cared for, if she is not less than 60 years of age, um, having been Uh, the, the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works what are those good works if she has brought up children has shown hospitality has washed the feet of the saints has cared for the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work the church has always cared for widows but especially faithful godly widows that is why boaz treated ruth the way he did because she feared the lord she was she was diligent she honored her mother I want to give you three more examples. The power of hospitality in the church. Hebrews chapter, I'm going to go through these quickly. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Why did I bring up Genesis 18? Abraham showing hospitality actually entertained the Lord, the text tells us. Brothers and sisters, um, Angels are not just something, you know, creatures that existed in Bible times. They exist now. This is for us. When we welcome one another, especially when we, we welcome, we welcome bro- brothers and sisters in Christ, you may have welcomed an angel. That's not hyperbole. That's incredible. Third John is a little book about caring for the saints. Look how John uh, commends his brothers and sisters, Third John, beginning in verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers and strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their, their journey. Uh, when he's talking about them, it's those who walk in the truth with them, those who they treated well. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We are kingdom workers. We care for and we welcome people in, even though they're strangers. If you meet a brother and sister in Christ, they're a stranger for about five seconds. Anyone ever experienced this? It's a good thing to do that and care for them. Have you ever traveled? You ever visited another church and someone invites you over or you meet other believers and they just give you amazing hospitality? Like this is what the body of Christ is supposed to feel like. On the other side, there's a discerning nature of the body of Christ. 2 John, book right before it, verses 9 through 11. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. What is the teaching of Christ? Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house. There is a power in our hospitality. We do not encourage, it is one thing when you're welcoming strangers who are not believers. But we do not keep company with those with with, with false teachers. Don't just invite them, not invite them to your dinner table, don't invite them to your ears. Don't share your table with them, don't share space with them. Do not receive them into your house or give them any greeting. For whoever greets him, take part in his, in his wicked ways. Why do we talk so often about false teachers and ear ticklers? Because we become participa- participators, encouragers, and co-laborers with false teachers. And there's actually power in guarding in the church. Nope. remember Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, if you are a brother in open sin, we're not even going to eat with you. Because that is reserved for intimate Christian fellowship. We are not welcoming you as a brother when you are a false teacher. So I say all that to say, for the first few hundred years, the Christian, Christian ministry was done mostly, exclusively, in person, in homes, personally, intimately. Why should we expect it to be any different now that we have buildings? This is why hospitality is stretched so highly, I want to say this clearly, large, impersonal, disconnected gatherings are antithetical to the gospel and the Christian life. I'm not saying large gatherings, but large, impersonal, disconnected gatherings, those are not Christian gatherings. If you don't know one another, if you can't welcome one another, I feel as welcomed in those places, as in a concert, it's a lot of people saying the same thing, going in the same direction, and everyone goes their separate ways, and no one knows each other. Anyone been in those churches? How many modern churches get get drawn into that? We've got the most high tech, the most beautiful, the, the the most palatial church building you'll ever see. We've got every, um, you know, we, we've got every piece of piece of technology. We've thought through everything, and I've been in plenty of those churches. And people leave week after week after week not knowing each other. It breaks my heart how often I talk to people who say, I went to this church for three weeks, four weeks, six months. Not one person talked to me. Not one person got to know me. You know where I've been the most welcomed? Church that meets in a consignment shop. Church that meets in a YMCA. Church that meets in a a public school. Because they talked to to us. They, they, They loved us. Been in a couple churches, we've been inviting people's homes as visitors. That's incredible. Praise God. So, let's bring it home. Hospitality and Grace Fellowship. Okay, so if you're new here, you're a visitor, welcome. Um, listen, but this is a family conversation. So, um, as Brett said earlier, absolutely, this church has always been known for being hospitable. But let's be honest, we have seen a lot of changes in the last couple years. A lot of people have left. A lot more people have come. Let's just all say a collective amen. It is hard to get to know people now. It is harder. And trust me, Brett and Jesse and I talk about this all the time. We are racking our, our brains and how we don't praise God that you look around this room and there are people everywhere. There was a time when it was not so. We praise God for bringing people, but we don't want to lose our family. We don't want to lose the family feel and intimacy of the body. And so I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't stop doing good, especially to the household of faith. Because if you have been here, as Brett said earlier, Brett stole my illustration, but I'm going to say it again anyway. Um, If if you've been to a, a members meeting, when we go around and everyone gives a testimony, we asked them to, get you know, say, say two things. What has Christ done in your life, and why do you want to be a member at Grace Fellowship? Every person, almost to a T, is we came for the, 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 the faithful treatment of the word of God, and we stayed for the community. We stayed for the love. We stayed for the hospitality. I have never been welcomed and cared for um, so well in a body, and you guys do that amazingly. But it is hard. It's hard for me. Every week... There are new people. Praise God. I, I, I'm glad. Again, family conversation. You're at our you're at our, our dinner table, um, so you're you're listening in on family conversation. We're glad you're, you're here. But sometimes it's like I can't remember everyone's names. I can't remember who I who who I who I talked to. And you know, when the last time I saw that this this person, um, keep doing what you are you're, you're doing. One of the greatest joys as a pastor, and this is almost daily. It's at least weekly. I hear stories of how you guys love each other well. Taking each other to the airport, bringing each other meals, praying for one another, helping each other fix things around the house. Um, that is incredible. Um, maintenance day yesterday was a great example of this. Um, we gave a little challenge because the last couple months has been a little sparse. Uh, but the men stepped up yesterday. It was, there, was, there was quite a few. And some people complained, like, wait a second, there's so many guys here it might be a little weird that people are standing around. Um, and so when Josh, wherever you are, Josh, when you sent that, that, that picture, what I thought is praise God that we have men standing around. Because um, as I was talking to one of our deacons this morning, women bond face to face, but men bond shoulder to shoulder. And so for guys, I know in the past these are where the, the, the deepest bonds in the body have made, have, have, have grown. When we, when we both have, have uh, shovels and we're digging ditches right next to each other. And so that's a, a beautiful thing. There's so many guys here. All of our jobs got done in the first hour and a half to two hours. And then they spent the next couple hours talking. Imagine that. And getting to know one another. And a bunch of us went out to lunch together. Um, so in the, the, the effort to keep up a building that the Lord has given us so that we can welcome others, we actually grew in relationship with one another. And that was a real beauty. And so here's the encouragement, and, and now here is the uh, challenge. It's a slight challenge. It's an encouragement. It is great that you have friends and meaningful relationships. I love that there are so many deep ties within this, this body, among families, among the women, among the, the, the men. But I do want to ask you, how far have you gone outside of those relationships? Just a question to members here. If we give you a member's directory for a reason. This is a full plug. If you don't know where your member's directory is, get it. And look through it. Have you met every other member? Have you just talked to them? Have you gotten? How many members have you actually gotten together with? When was the last time you had someone in your home? When was the last time you had another member in your home? When was the last time you had someone in your home for the first time? The person you've had in your home... For uh, ten times, where they if if they know where all your spices are, that's not a new person. They've 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 been there enough. But how many times you had? When's the last time you had a new person in your house? Here's here's a big one. When was the last time you talked to someone on a Sunday morning and said more than good morning? When was the last time you stopped them and asked them about them? Because when you do. That makes such an amazing impact. I'll share a story because I'm just full of anecdotes this morning. David was telling us the other night in our discipleship group, he said, I was tired of going to churches. I'm sorry, man, I'm putting you on the spot, but it's a good thing. Um, I'm, I was, he, I'm tired of going to churches where everyone shows up with the uh, fake plastic smile every morning and everything's great and everything's wonderful. Um, and he meets one of, one of our guys and immediately there's a... There's a vulnerable, personal conversation. And he said, thank you. This is what I've been, been looking for. Someone to, say real, someone to really say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I'm screwed up. And welcome. Amen. And so um, let's be those people who do that. Let's be people who welcome one another, who welcome our neighbors because Christ has welcomed us. Amen. So keep those things in mind as we prepare for the table. Um, And as we prepare to take this table, just bring all this back together and remember this, and we'll give you uh, a, a few seconds to prepare, to meditate, and then we'll give you instructions. But as you prepare for the table, remember the hospitality that Christ has shown us. Here's what he's shown us. Like Ruth, everyone who seeks refuge in the Lord is welcomed and honored. And even though as foreigners, as strangers, we have no right, he gives us all the favor of his Father in heaven. And even though we are foreigners, he calls us brother, sons of the Most High God. And those he welcomes, just like Boaz, he provides, he protects, and he keeps us from the enemy's hand. And all the enemy's hirelings, no one will touch you. You may have difficulty. But you are his. You are in his hand. And at this table, like Boaz, he says, come to me. Take the bread and eat. Take the wine and drink. For I am the Lord your God who redeemed you out of your slavery from sin. Our hospitality comes out of our our redemption. And this table is a reminder of the hospitality shown us. So we'll give you a few moments and Brett will lead us in a moment.